button do? This is Mark Templin. You're listening to Toddcast. This episode of Toddcast is sponsored by our patron, Steve Buell. Thank you, Steve. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Todd Lyons, and this is Toddcast Season 4, Episode 7, a show for and about public servants. Have you ever been so engrossed in something you were doing that you completely lost track of time? That feeling of surprise at how many hours had passed, but how brief they had felt, and how much enjoyment you'd had, how fulfilling the experience was. How much satisfaction you derived from the process. How creative or productive you were. What we typically know as being in the zone is actually a defined psychological state that's been studied. It's called flow. And for researchers examining the topic of happiness, flow is one of the very best headspaces you can be in. There are over a quarter of a million jobs in the Canadian Federal Public Service. If you can find one that allows you to experience flow on a regular basis, you'll be one of those fortunate people who is actually living the adage, find a job you love and you'll never have to work another day in your life. And you can. My spare time used to be devoted to engaging in the sorts of activities I wished I was allowed to do full time. And in the process, I developed a track record, and a body of work, and a reputation, all of which helped put me in the place I am today, a member of Canada's free agents, working from my home office, creating things that I believe in and would create for free if it weren't already my job to work on them full-time. So think about the untapped skills you have that put you in that state of flow. Who could better use the talents you have? if the best you have to give is going to waste. Is there a job you could apply for? Are there deployment opportunities where you can make a lateral shift into a situation that's a a better fit? Are there assignment or secondment opportunities where you can demonstrate what you have to offer and learn new skills during a one to two year placement while holding on to your existing position? Or perhaps a micromission where you spend a few hours a week working on something that you choose. Many opportunities to grow your career in a direction where you're giving and getting more. And the GC Tools Career Marketplace is a great place to start your journey. On this episode, a conversation with someone who found his perfect job. I'd like you to meet Robert Vanderberg. So you're the archivist curator at the National Arts Center. Yes. That sounds like a pretty good gig. Yeah, it's a really good gig. <laughs> and it's one of those rare, I tell people that there's maybe one or two jobs in the country, maybe North America, that actually combine the world of archives and visual arts together. 
and if you combine them at a performing arts center, which is also where some of my passions lie, it's even rarer. So it's an exciting place to be. So what sort of a background do you have to have to sort of find your way in the direction, uh, maybe not getting to the job that you have now, but... Yeah. Uh, do you want my personal long story or short story? Long stories are good. So, I mean, it kind of goes back to day one, walking up with kind of wide eyes, undergrad, handed out my course list for the first semester, and it had Art History 101 on it. I was like, I, oh, sure, I, you know, you, courses were picked for me. I took the course. I had minimal background in art. I went to the art gallery a lot here in Ottawa because my mom was fascinated with it. She loved pulling me out of school and letting me visit and see the pictures. But my family was not working in the arts. I, you know, had limited experience. I sat down that first day of undergrad. It was a dark room with comfy chairs. I got to look at pictures all the time, and I thought that was fantastic. (laughs) Sounds pretty good. (laughs) How about we major in that? And that was kind of like, it was completely on a whim. And I have this stubborn personality where once I make that decision, I'm sticking to it. So Mm -hmm. I stuck through it all four years. Went to York University for a master in art history. And one thing led to another. I ended up working at the Art Gallery of Ontario on a contract basis. Led to a job at an arts festival in Toronto, which was unbelievably fulfilling simply because I got to work with some amazing artists at a very young age and I was kind of like how did that happen but also incredibly intense just because the nature of the arts festival scene is you work really hard for six months of the year trying to program and produce that um, and I took a step back then and said okay what do I want to do is this really for me long term and is high stress it's a challenge to coordinate life and I still had this lingering fascinations with libraries I figured I'd go back to library school, become a librarian, quickly realized that you don't become a librarian and get a job very easily. So I'm like, ah, I want a job. So I'll become a records manager. Graduated from school, did that. And then at that point, I figured I have two careers that happen at once. I have either archives and records management, and I have the arts, but they're not the same thing. And I did that for a number of years. I was working in the mining sector in records management while kind of having a side gig with a production company producing the visual arts with partners in Toronto and New York mostly. Then this amazing opportunity came up at the NAC where they were looking for an archivist curator with an understanding of the performing arts world, which melded all my interests into one amazing opportunity. And it's kind of been there three years, just coming on to three years at the Art Centre. So tell me, what the, what's, a, what's a week in your life like? Oh, it can look very, very different from week to week. Okay. Um, Partially because that's the nature of the arts. Um, We program seasonally. So what we do over the year has ebbs and flows. Also just the nature of my projects can shift radically depending on where the focus is. As an example, this past week, we started to conclude the reinstallation of the visual art collection. So during construction of the art center, which finished very, very recently for the public lobbies and the new building part of it. We took all the artwork out of the building to protect it. It's quite valuable. We've been working over the spring to reinstall that. So last week, quite literally, we took a 20-inch long drill bit to a nearly priceless sculpture to modify it so that it could freestand. So we brought the artist in from Terrace, BC to supervise the modification. 
Uh, our workshop actually drilled the piece out. I worked with the engineer for the weeks leading up to determine the design. We brought thousand pound concrete blocks upstairs into the lobby so that we could then lift this artwork and install it on these steel sleeves in the middle of the atrium. That is one week, very hands-on, working with artists directly in and out of shops, you know, coordinating all the logistics of moving heavy pieces of art, concrete blocks, all those details. This week is a completely different week because the attention has now entirely shifted back to the archives for most of the summer. So me and my part-time assistant are now sitting down and focusing on how do we best manage our photograph collection and now my week looks very much pulling out boxes from the shelf, opening them up the boxes, looking through photos, sorting photos, cataloging photos, entirely different than working with production crews to you know, manufacture concrete blocks. So the job is really, I, I would say I don't have a typical week. I have five or six different projects that range from data management projects to high-level artwork commissioning and management projects all running at the same time and I focus shifts from one project to the next which very much changes what I do. So is this good variety that kind of makes your job interesting or is it sort of you're being pulled in directions that kind of hurts your brain sometimes? A little column A and a little column B. (laughs) The variety is good. I, I don't thrive in a world where I do the same thing every day. It drives me a little bit batty. It's why I didn't thrive when it came to records management, straight records management. But it does mean this spring was crazy. Like We regularly write our banku, where for the quarter, we kind of do the hit list of what we accomplished. And usually my banku is not very long. Like it's the archives curator. You know, I'm but one person in a 350-person-ish size organization. Um, it takes a couple pages mine was triple the length for this past quarter just because the number of things that got checked off the list there's a lot of culminating projects just this spring so yeah it can go crazy and for a little while it's like i might be ripping out my hair but you have this great opportunity then to say okay those are done they're installed the dempsey bob sculpture is standing on its own in the atrium the governor general's performing arts hall board hall of honors has been reframed rehung and open outside the Canada room. Now I get to turn my attention and focus on something entirely different for the summer and have a completely fresh approach and perspective to it. So yeah, it has a bit of those ebb and flows in terms of busyness, but they just make the kind of focused calmer periods all that much more worthwhile. So does the record geek in you know how many separate different pieces of art, memorabilia, all that stuff that is actually part of the collection? Yeah, it varies and grows rapidly Uh, our collection is primarily consists of house programs for every show that we produce there is a house program handed to a patron when they rock in the door that says information on the show the actors the musicians all the people present in that production we have almost every single one from 19 actually before 1969 because we did some pre uh, pre pre-opening performances off-site to today there's thousands in there. That one's almost uncountable. We have 8,000 posters plus, because we grow on a day-by-day basis of past productions and shows. We have, I believe, 208 maquettes, which are little scale models of stage um, designs 
that are produced in the creative process when making a show, which are actually rare for an archives to have because they usually remain the property of the designer. So my predecessors were very active and engaged with the designers to get that material into the NAC, which is highly fortunate. We have countless meters of corporate records. That's a little bit my, how do I deal with that next kind of challenge is that we have the corporate records that have been produced. Um, some are on site, some are off site and trying to wrangle those into control in his um, archival fashion is something that I need to figure out in the, you know, the five year picture down the road approach. So yeah, we have a lot. Do I know the exact numbers? Close, but it grows. And recordings and costumes. Yes, we have forget the exact number of costumes they're also a really rare one just because the way the performing arts works and again because i've been blessed with archivists who before me were very keen to go into a production and say that costume is worth keeping forever can i keep it forever and working with the designer to get that permission Um, if i go into my storage room the whole wall on what would be the east side is all boxed costumes from past productions ranging from very early works in the 70s right up until 2014 we have a very recent costume that was collected from Alistair Looking Glass. So what are the challenges of of trying to manage, store, care for, maintain such a a vast collection of things that are both old and new that are valuable that are uh, like the programs that just keep piling up and piling up and posters like poster after poster some of them are easy programs and posters are kind of my two easy ones because you sort them you note where they are you put them in order and they kind of they're not such a problem they're paper they last a long time I guess you can stack them I can deal with those ones fairly easily and they're fairly easy to work with my biggest challenges I would say let's say there are two that I face on a regular basis. The first challenge is just the reality that I'm an archivist in a performing arts institution, which has two consequences. One, I'm not, my, the primary goal of the institution is not preserving the legacy of the performing arts in Canada for future generations. It is producing it right now and presenting it. So unlike the LAC, I don't have massive amounts of resources contributed to preservation. I have pretty solid resources considering where we are in the realm of performing arts um, in terms of would they have a full-time person with an assistant in the building actually preserving this. So I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination, but we're not limitless resources. So um, we are trying to piece together all the elements of access that are required, like a database, um, like intellectual control of the records. And those are big projects that need to be brought on board Um, with limited resources. So we have to be creative in how we do that. We have to be strategic in how we do it, whether it's through partnership with other organizations, um, working collaboratively with Library Archives Canada on who keeps what because we are Crown Corp. So um, we are obligated, as other departments and Crown Corporations are, to the Library Archives Canada Act. So that's one part of it, just resources, how to use the resources we have to make best use of organizing the collection the second challenge in the performing arts is that we are the performing arts is ephemeral by its very nature it's all about what happens on stage what happens on stage occurs at about maybe two hours 
on stage. Sometimes it's repeated one time. Sometimes it's repeated five times for three weeks. So 15, 20 times. But once that show ends, typically all the things that were created and related to that show disperse. The collections go back to the collection, rotating collection costume that our wardrobe department uses. The props are repurposed or discarded. Things are built to be light and fast moving. They're not built to be permanent. So in the archive where I have gone in or previous archivists have gone and selected certain pieces for preservation because of their unique creative qualities, to actually preserve them is an interesting challenge simply because this suit of armor that I have that appears like a heavy metal object from 50 feet away, when you get up close to and touch it, is really um, primarily parts from the plumbing department at Home Depot. So the foam that you use to wrap copper pipes to insulate them, glued onto insulation substrate and then spray painted with metallic, you know, trim clad paint. None of which really love being preserved for a hundred years. They were built to last for three weeks. So there are some unique challenges to preserve those types of objects that are made out of, um, let's just say, materials that are not the most friendly to archivists. So that's a unique challenge, plus the, you know, finding the way to access those and having the resources to access those. Those are the things that cause me stress on a day-to-day basis for the long term of how to manage that collection. So can you teach me how to make chain mail out of a million little tiny rings of plastic? Uh, well, I can show you many pieces of it. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me about the sort of memorabilia uh, that's been created, or are you talking about posters and stuff when you talk about memorabilia? No, we have some great memorabilia, and I'm going to also do great with some scare quotes around it. Okay. Um, we the art center produces in just a lot of stuff because we do regular programming in our halls from theater um, to the orchestra, opera in the past, dance. We also have festivals that have run since the beginning of the um, organization. So and the scene festivals, so Alberta scene, BC scene, Canada scene, etc. Over the years. There have been many, many T-shirts created. There have been many, many takeout cups created for giveaways. There have been medallions that were created and given away to patrons attending Performing Arts Award uh, galas. There have been cups that the orchestra has made and sold trying to make a profit. And some of them are truly great pieces of design. And I think here of actually, it is a poster, but it was created by... Um, an artist named Zilan out of Quebec and he was commissioned to do actual posters for the NAC that were then given away or sold as limited editions and we have a few of these memorabilia posters in the collection. They are legitimate works of art in that memorabilia collection. We also have you know, the cup that was produced and given away to friends and family of the NAC or to artists over the years. And now you can walk over the Glebe Great Garage sale and see 10 of them for <laughs> 10 cents. So the memorabilia collection has a range of objects of high interest and value to low interest and value. But those low interest objects as standalones might be ones that are like, why would you keep that? Like, why keep the zones 
cheap water bottle that was given to people in their grab bag when they first arrived. Um, but it tells a story of how the NEC interacted with its patrons and its donors over the past 50 years, if you start to understand them all together, which is why we keep that memorabilia element. And speaking of patrons, you have to tell me about reclaiming priceless artifacts and artworks <laughs> uh, reclaimed from the attics of patrons, because that just seems... <laughs> we have... That seems wacky. Let's say we have a very loyal patron base. Okay. It's actually... I was in a marketing meeting the other day, and they did know... Like, organizations that performing our struggle across the world with um, patron retention. Hmm. The NAC does really well in this area. We have patrons who have been coming to the NAC for the past 50 years, week after week after week. And many of them now are actually moving into retirement homes or nursing homes and their children or they are clearing out their attic spaces. And I, on a regular basis, get calls from either their kids, their grandkids or them or the patrons themselves saying, I have these house programs from 1973 to 1983. They're in immaculate condition. Do you want any? Um, And my answer is always, yes, absolutely. We will come take a look at what you have and then fill any gaps in the collection because we can't hit, we produce so much stuff that I can't, there are nights where someone doesn't hand me the house program and I wasn't there, so I couldn't grab it. So we regularly interact with patrons to go and get materials. We've had entire record, and here I mean not corporate records, but actual vinyl disc records donated from very loyal patrons who have bought all the um, NACO performance um, recordings produced by CBC over the years primarily, but also their independent recordings. Items that at the time we were between archivists, so they weren't collected. So we went and collect, we took that probably collection of 200 records from the patron's basement. They kindly donated it to the NAC. So yeah, my job also takes me to people's houses to (laughs) see what they have or receiving stuff and mail from patrons who happen to live out East and had programs of, things that were really special to them. And then it's a privilege to be able to take them into the collection and fill those holes and complete what we have. So I imagine that uh, you're camped out in your job probably for some time because it's a pretty sweet gig. And you have an assistant that's part-time. Not a lot of jobs doing this sort of work um, with the NAC or other organizations that... uh, I would say this is a very rare job, um, especially in Canada. Most of the major performing arts institutions have some sort of archives. I think specifically of, for instance, the National Ballet, um, Theatre Calgary, uh, Stratford Festival, all have, even locally here, the um, uh, Community Theatre in Ottawa, the Ottawa Smallest Theatre? Ottawa Little Theatre. Little Theatre, there we go, sorry. When I die, I'm going to send, yeah, my entire collection because i save all my programs yeah so exactly so they all have collected materials the nac is one of the few who employs people to oversee that collection most are run wonderfully by volunteers and sometimes the stuff they do with volunteers blows me away and this stuff sometimes the stuff that's like i could only wish we could do that because they have such dedicated volunteers but the nac is one of the unique ones where we dedicate resources to preserving the history of the arts and 
culture, the performing arts culture in Canada. The only comparable position that jumps to mind would be Stratford Festival. It has an amazing archives. And Lisa over there does great work in terms of organizing her collection and making it available and is kind of leading the way with the performing arts and archiving the performing arts in this country for sure. Um, but yeah, I would say this is a very, very rare opportunity, especially when you combine the visual arts side of it, which is also you know, the, my, the second part of my passion and background. So I know the Ottawa Little Theatre, they have uh, costume sales and prop sales every once in a while to yep. kind of clear out, uh, let people buy like a little bit of magic. Does the NAC do anything like that? Or is it either we keep it or we, we throw it away? Um, well, sales are a bit of a different thing at the NEC because we're a crown corp, which means that selling stuff is never an easy process. Um, we are, have to adhere to all the other uh, disposal rules and regulations that other departments have to adhere to. I've seen cars and things sold through GC Surplus. Would you have to send like costumes and things to GC Surplus for kind people of, to bid yeah, on? Basically, yeah. So we very rarely sell items of costumes, and we don't. We're fortunate enough that we don't have to bolster our um, budgets with those approaches. Uh, smaller theaters obviously need to figure out how to strategically make money in many ways. But no, we don't. We don't typically do that. What we do often do is rent out props and production materials. So, just down the hall from me is the prop shop which is a whole different interesting situation because they have another amazing collection of items, of items that are used on a regular basis in productions, and they regularly rent out or loan out items to other organizations across the country or either in uh, local partnerships between smaller theaters. But we don't, we don't have that kind of sale aspect to it. So what do you see the challenges going forward with, with managing this collection at the, uh, the NEC? If any, or are things going swimmingly? No problem at all. Um, no, I think there are plenty of challenges. I've noted the challenges of, in general, of collecting on a permanent basis in the performing arts. Where I want the organization to go in terms of its archives is really focusing our attention on what we should be preserving and why. So one is working with Library Archives Canada to really clearly delineate who keeps what. Who does the corporate records? Who is doing the creative records? What are we doing together and how do we connect those materials? That's the one major item that needs to be worked out in the next few years. Another item that really needs to be developed much further is making that collection accessible to the public. We have a treasure trove of information when it relates to the performing arts because of the way that has rolled out over the years with resources available to the various archivists. We have good physical control of our archives. We lack really strong intellectual control. So if you want to come to the archives and you want to find out everything about Robert Lepage from the time he was artistic director of French theater in those years, I can walk down with you. I can pull out boxes related to productions that he worked on, his personal files to some extent, though not... All of them, I can pull out audio-visual recordings, archival footage of the productions, posters, some costumes. I can work through that with you. If you were out in Vancouver working from your desk, it would be almost impossible for you to access that. So my next big step is to determine how to gain the intellectual control and then how to best make the collection available 
to people across Canada with more control of that collection. And we're making little steps here and there. One is through a partnership that we've been working on with the University of Ottawa in the English department, um, where students have been coming in to explore the collection and then preparing online exhibits with the information from the collection. Or through people researching in Japan, for instance, I have two or three people writing out in Japan right now who have come to the archives and have done the research and are writing and distributing internationally. So there's little steps here and there, but what I would really like to see the archives to move into is to have really clear management of its information in the archives and then to be able to make that accessible to broadly across the country. But again, we're probably talking, uh, you know, this is a five, six year development process. Robert, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Toddcast Season 4, Episode 7. All opinions expressed on Toddcast are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. Special thanks to our patrons, Steve Buell, Steph and Aaron Percival, Darlene Mulcahy, Abe Greenspoon, Terry Kelly, Yvette Fung, Elizabeth Ellis, Sharon Pinney, Catherine Parker, Tanya Garcia, Justin Henry, Rachel Muston, John Price, Taryn Wasson, Greg White, Joy Muscovich, Jackie Tweedy, M.F. Burford, Barbara Dundas, Rod Gallant, Daphne Guerrero, Jennifer Harju, Anthony Jazz, Saren McDashin, Tarek Paracha, and George Wenzel. However you found us, please help us bring meaningful content to the public service. Become a subscriber, share the episodes, rate our content, and write, and let us know what's on your mind. You can reach me at Todd at toddlines.ca or start a conversation with fellow listeners worldwide on gccollab.ca. Toddcast is planned, written, and technically produced using free and open-source software. Canboard, DocuWiki, and Audacity, all running on Linux Mint. Software that is free as in cost, but more importantly, free as in freedom. This episode's theme music was Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. Toddcast content is free to use and share under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license because, like open source, open content, and open licensing makes the world a better place. I'm Todd Lyons. I'll see you online.